0: All right, well, good morning, Salem. I'm starting to wonder if we should convert this front row right here to those seats of the theater. Because nobody ever uses that one right there. Free popcorn next week for anybody who's right there. Somebody's gonna jump right now. Dibs, I'm in. Hey, it's great to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Seth, and one of the pastors uh, here uh, at uh, Salem. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I just would love the opportunity uh, to meet you. So this is a great community. We are so, so, so glad that you guys are here. Um, some of you guys may know uh, that my wife and I were, uh, had started a project at the very beginning of the summer uh, to put in a fence for our dog. It got finished a week ago. <laughs> um, what started uh, with a shovel... Um, you know actually, what started with a one man auger you know to to push down and to drill out the holes for the fence like uh, it was very very quickly realized it wasn 't going to work. Uh, it got stuck about halfway down. Uh, we were able to get it out we went and rented a two man auger and then Pushed it down, and it got stuck. Uh, And then we spent more time digging out the auger than it took to even get it in. So uh, it started as what I thought was going to be like a two to three day thing, maybe even one day, if I'm being totally honest. I thought that was going to be the case, totally wrong. Um, Ended up being a whole summer. thing and had guys just come and just bless us and give their time. Um, but but here's, here's the thing. like So what, what happened, or what actually allowed for us to, to finally kind of get moving on this project was that we, we moved, we made this transition from the the handheld auger to like the pole-behind trailer auger. We kind of bit the bullet and did that. and so But I went uh, to go pick it up, right? And, uh, and it's like West Fargo. So I drove, which is not really that far west, by the way. Um, but West Fargo, I go all the way over there, and, uh, and I go to pick it up, and because um, and, uh, I, I have a Jeep, I have to have this little like, adapter piece that, that kind of connects for the hitch, right? So it's low enough so whatever I can tow behind me uh, isn't like, super like, up there. And so I get there, and I have everything that I think is ready, and I can pull up, and the Jeep, and the guy shows up, and he starts pulling up this, this tow-behind auger, right? And we get there, and we look at it, and I'm like, something's missing. <laughs> totally forgot the hitch. And I was like, I came all the way over here. What am I supposed to do? You know, I'm like, I, guys, I, like, I was raised on a farm. I know how this works. Like, this, this is just all on me, you know? And I get there, and I'm looking at this thing, and there's, this, there's no ball and hitch for it to attach to. And I'm like, man. <laughs> and here's the deal. Um, I think that oftentimes in life, prayer becomes like this hitch. Because we show up in life, and, and maybe God says, okay, so I've got this new job for you, right? So I show up, and I'm ready for this new job, and then my, my, my boss or whoever it is shows up and says, great, here's your workload. And it's like putting the, the Jeep with, the, um, with this pole behind auger, and all of a sudden we can realize uh, that maybe they aren't in alignment because I'm missing something, right like sometimes prayer becomes like this missing hitch it's the thing that connects everything together it really is, it's super powerful, it's so important, right, and we often times miss it. And so this morning, um, I'll tell you about this a little bit in a second, but this morning, if you're a guest or even if you're, you've are you been here for a while, um, this morning's going to look a little different, and I'll tell you about that in a second, uh, but if you are just joining us, we've been in this series uh, called uh, Rooted and Grounded out of the, the letter of uh, Ephesians, uh, and because we're at this very critical kind of turning point uh, in the text, in in the the letter, I want to just spend some time and just just recap kind of where we've been uh, so far, right? So if you're here uh, at the start of the series, and this might be new for some of you, and that's great. That's why I wanted to redo this, just to recap. Uh, The book itself or the letter is actually broken into two parts, okay? So part one is chapters one through three, uh, and part two is four through six, okay? Uh, so you have two parts, right, that are that are linked, but we'll talk about that in a second, but they are very distinct. And the first part really is ultimately about uh, God's story, right? This is all about who he is, what he has accomplished in the world, uh, who we are by nature, uh, and really Paul, the author paints this incredibly bleak, dark picture for humanity. It's like this black portrait. There's no color, there's nothing whatsoever. And in fact, we find that there's no hope for people outside of Jesus. So very, very bleak, right? But God shows up and does some incredible, amazing things in light of his love for humanity, right? So this is really God's story. But then the the second part uh, of the book really then becomes our story I think I did this wrong last time, so I'll do it that way. So our story, right? So how does God's story and our story then ultimately blend together? Is kind of what we're what we're going to see what happens um, with uh, with Paul in this letter. But before we do that, um, we talked a little bit about this uh, being this position. Um, so like, if I think about chapters one through three, and if I think about who God is, what He's accomplished in the world on behalf of me, for me, uh, with me, uh, His love being the highest possible good for me, sending his son to die on the cross, right? I all of a sudden have this new salvation. Uh, I have peace with God. I have peace with other people. And it's this incredible position where I now stand. I was totally alienated, separated from God's goodness. And here I stand in the middle of God's grace, right, by faith. And so it's this incredible thing. But if I think about this as my position, this is my identity, okay, there is a reality that if I only focus on this and I don't focus at all about how I live, if this bears no weight on how I live, then all of a sudden, this can become slightly dangerous for me. Um, right, and so what it can become, it can turn into, um, is we drew this guy on a box, and he's like standing on the box, and uh, we probably all have uh, run into, at some point or another, the guy on the corner of the street who's, you know, standing on a box and telling the world that, that they're going to hell, and, right, and all of a sudden, it becomes this person who has, I have all of the answers, right, and it's this, like, I am puffed up almost in my knowledge of who God is if it doesn't bear weight on this. And so it can be dangerous. But over here, if you come to our story, right, if it comes our story, uh, if I only focus on our story, if I'm constantly thinking about this and I'm detaching it from who God has said that I actually am, then all of a sudden then I can become this person who instead of on the box is overconfident and puffed up, I'm actually bent down and I'm kind of broken and I'm bearing the burden of this world. And what I think Christ demands of me. which is not really the case at all. But that's how we feel. And so we either end up uh, on the the soapbox or broken underneath, right? And so the way that we talked about this is this idea of NACL, right? Sodium and chlorine. So if you have sodium and chlorine separately, they actually can be damaging or harmful to you. But when N.A. and C.L., right, you're going back to high school chemistry now, right? Um, If N.A. and C.L. come together, they form this bond, and they are no longer actually bad for you, but they become salt. It becomes one thing. It's become salt, right? And, And salt is incredible because it adds tons of flavor to food, but it also just makes people thirsty, doesn't it? Right? And that's the beauty of what this is designed to do, Right, the way that these two things are supposed to come together. And so the way that Paul then talks about it is he says, in, and this is our passage this morning, uh, chapter 3, 14 to 21, he basically says this. He says, we need to find a way to link these two things together. So how is it that these two things blend together like salt? Well, he, he uses this kind of bridge passage uh, in three Uh, 14 to, God, that's so painful. I am off today, guys. 21, nope, nope, nope. There we go. It's an eight now. Shoot, sorry. Looks bad. But you guys know what I mean. Okay. Uh, And what he does in this passage is that he actually says that there's one key major theme to the book, and it's the word love. And we look at that and we go, wow, that's a little cliche, right? It comes down to love. Of course, love God, love others, you know, blah, 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 right? right? But the reality is, is that this is, this is so extravagant. And it's so beautiful. And it's so amazing. It's so majestic that we rarely, even though we, we conceptually can grasp it at times, and maybe if I think hard enough, I can grasp it. But the reality is, is that rarely do I give it credit the way that it's due right? And what Paul says, right? What Paul says is that in this passage, he says that not only can you know God's love, right? So it's, if this is all about God's story, and if this is about experiencing that story in life, Paul says in this prayer, he says, not only can you comprehend this, you can actually know it in a way that surpasses knowledge, It's this incredibly powerful, important piece to the text. And what he says is that you being rooted and grounded in love, okay, so the word, and we'll talk more about this next week, um, but the idea of rooted is this agricultural term, right, for all of these roots that come out and they extend, right, and they go deeper and deeper and deeper, right, like we want to be rooted, we want to grow deeper and deeper in God's love. The word grounded is an architectural word, which actually means like to build. So we have a birthday cake for whatever reason. I don't know, I just built it and it looks like a cake. (laughs) Right? So we have this deeper. We're going to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. But the deeper we grow, the more we can be built in the way that God wants us to. And so it's this incredibly powerful, important thing Do we say if we want these two things to blend together, which is super important in the letter of Ephesians, all these different things that are blending together, right? God's kingdom and, and our world and physical and spiritual, all these things coming together. But this is super important that we understand this. But, but this morning... I want us to be really careful um, because I think it would be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly easy for us just to come to this text, to teach it, and then to move on. And just keep going and keep going. And because I I can't overemphasize enough, right, that between these two things, the thing that links these two things together is, is not just the idea of love. It's actually in the form of a prayer. It's a prayer about love. So here, if you have God's position, he says this is who you are in light of what I've done. This is your position, this is your purpose. But the thing that links those two things, which we oftentimes miss, is the idea of prayer. And for me, um, one of the things that I wrestle with as a pastor uh, is that I I wrestle with this. It's, It's hard, if not impossible, for me to pass along a way of life from the pulpit. Right, in order for that to happen, in order for you to see what prayer uh, looks like in my life and what significance it plays and, and how often, you and I would need to start spending a lot more time together. And I can't give that to you from the pulpit. But what I can give you, which is just case in point, one of the reasons why we don't rely on this right here, right? Because it's about life behind this and beyond this, um, Right? And so it's about prayer. So here's what I can do. If I can't pass along a way of life, I can re emphasize over and over and over and over how important and significant prayer is in the Christian life. It's so important. In fact, uh, I once heard uh, a pastor uh, by a guy named Colin Smith when I was in seminary back in Chicago say this, and it has stuck with me since. There's nothing that you can do to demonstrate your dependence on God more than prayer doesn't matter if you witness a 1,000 people a day. <laughs> that'd be so many. A 1,000 people a year. That's still less than you showing up and praying because that's the posture that we need before the Lord that acknowledges it's not about us. It's ultimately about him. And so as I was prepping for this week and getting everything ready uh, for this week, uh, God used some, some circumstances in my own life this week and he just said, Seth, I think you should probably slow down. And so this morning, if you're new, or uh, you know, if you're, you're looking for a, a standard message, it's gonna look a little differently. Uh, and here's why, because I think that we need to slow down. We will unpack the passage next week, we will teach through it next week, but this morning, my hope is, is that we can wrestle together with the posture of prayer, corporately, and then we can do some praying together. So I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, I don't know why God told me to do this, but this is where we're at. And I think it's significant, and so I want to be uh, obedient uh, to that, right? And so what we're going to do, in some sense, is that we are going to go to the gym, okay? We've rented a giant bus. We're all going to go to the gym. No, we're going to exercise our spiritual muscles together, That's kind of what's going to happen. And I want to start uh, by praying or reading through the passage together. Just reading through Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Uh, And I've been told that Glenn used to say, with one strong voice. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, With one strong voice, let's read this together. Here we go. Yep, yep, back, sorry, my bad. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, Here's what I love about this, and here's why I think we're going to slow down this morning. This is in part, I think, which is what the Spirit kind of laid on me this week in my own life and the things that I was wrestling with, uh, is in that very first sentence, he says, for this reason, I bow. I bow my knees. You see, the posture of this, you have the position that God gives us, you have our purpose, and then you have in the middle this prayer. But we can't miss the posture of the prayer. Because the posture of the prayer looks something like this. I don't think this is something we probably do very often. It doesn't mean that we need to be on our knees every time we pray, it's a figure of speech. This is talking about the posture of our hearts. And here's what's challenging about this, and I want you to think about this, because if we were to go all the way back to the beginning of the story, if you remember where Adam was made from the Adamah, the Hebrew word for ground, Adam came from Adamah, which means that when you and I get down on our knees before the Lord, it's as if we are touching and in tune with the very dirt that we came from. This is who I am, and this is who God is. This is who you are. In, in the Jewish culture, um, the men wear these, these little caps called yarmulkes. And, uh, and they, do, they wear these all day long, um, but uh, especially when they're praying. Um, and if you go to Jerusalem, and if you go to the western wall of, of, um, of the temple, you, you will not be able to go to the wall unless you put one of these on. They will not let you approach the wall without a yarmulke. And the reason being is that people wear them. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that it's not just to cover bald spots, but, but, but the reason why they wear them is to remind them that God is always above them. It's just like wearing a hat. You know, it's this reminder, always, this constant reminder. So it's as if by wearing this, I'm creating this posture in my heart of bowing and being humbled and dependent on the Lord, right? And all of a sudden, we begin to think about this a little differently, right? It begins to change how we think about prayer, Right? And it's significant also because this, and I want, to be, I, want to be, I want to be mindful as we wrestle through this, but I think this is true, is that on our knees is not always the posture that we hold, figuratively or physically. It's just not the posture that we oftentimes have. And in fact, oftentimes, I think that we have uh, a counter... A counter posture or an opposing posture that makes that more difficult. Uh, In the book um, With, it's called W-I-T-H. It's by a guy named Sky Jathani. You can find it on uh, Amazon. Uh, It's a good book. And in this book, he actually processes through uh, these different postures before the Lord. And I want to wrestle with these postures here uh, with you because I think these are significant and they help us understand how we might be addressing the Lord, okay? So uh, you may, if you've been here before, you'll, you'll probably remember that I use a triangle to, to represent uh, God because you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And so you have, you have God, right? But this first posture that he talks about is this person. It's the person who is being squashed by God. And it's a life under God posture, Right, uh, and this is this is the types of people like these are the Pharisees who who operate out of fear. I mean, it's masked; it's fear masked as majesty. Because we look at God and we say, "Wow, you are so good," but I don't want to ever dare break those rules. And it's really actually operated out of fear. And so what we do is we create rules and rules and rules. And it's the person who is constantly feeling guilty and oppressed in this role that we have this life under God posture. Because at the center of this is God's divine will, right? He's saying that this is, this is everything that's perfect and we, and we just get overloaded with, with all of those rules. Another posture is this, this is, uh, I did this last time too, it looks like this guy's kicking this guy in the face. It's, it's like this, this life over God posture right he's climbing to the top and life over god is a unique is a unique posture because because of this it's actually probably most appropriate for atheism Right, because in the, in the Enlightenment time or post-Enlightenment, when science entered into the world, right, what happened is that as we began to understand uh, the, the cosmic principles that, that govern and guide the world that we live in, we began to see, or humanity began to see, that, that spirituality and faith, matters of faith, especially the Bible, that's for silly people. Because they just don't understand how the world works. If you understand how the world works, you don't need to know all of those things, right? And so it's this idea that if I just understand the principles of the world, then I can operate. Well, what's, what Jethany talks about, he says, what's dangerous about this is that oftentimes many of us as Christians actually take the same posture as atheism. And it's when we take the Bible and when we reduce the Bible to a set of principles, if I can just understand the way that God works... And then what I can do is I can, just, I can just do those principles. And all of a sudden, God becomes like this puppet on a string. And you remove God as the middleman, and it goes right to me. Because I, have, I now, if I have operation of these principles, I now have direct control over my life. Right? And it's a way of manipulating God into getting ultimately what we Want in the Bible, in many of our minds, oftentimes is a self help book. And that's not what Scripture talks about. So it's this life over God posture. Here's another, uh, another posture, and it's the, the idea of life from God right? Notice the arrow. So, so God has something that I want or that I need, um, and, uh, and really um, what we oftentimes think or see with the way that we treat God, even though we know, again, we know that these things conceptually are not right, right? But we think that God's ultimate purpose in my life is to make me happy, and so its farthest form, life from God posture, is, is the idea of the prosperity gospel, right? If I just do these things, then God will bless me and I'll get everything that I want and everything that I need, right? And that's that prosperity gospel. But at the, at the core of this, at the life from God posture, is the idea of consumerism. It's this idea that I have wants or that I have needs, and God, then I convert him, even though conceptually, I know this isn't true or accurate, but the way that I treat God and talk to him is like he's a giant vending machine, right? If I just, if I just got the change and the coins, dink, clink, 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 and then B6, Skittles, that's what I want right now, <laughs> right? Actually, that does sound good. Anybody else? No? Um, so... Right? There's this idea that I want something. And better yet, maybe it's not the cosmic vending machine. Maybe it's a cosmic butler. I will bring it to you. Right? Maybe it's this idea of cosmic therapy. I have these pains and ills, and I just need God to show up and bandage and soothe me and just make me feel better about life. It's this life from God posture. Right? The last posture is unique, I mean, it's similar to the last one, but instead of getting things from God, it's the idea of that I need to give to God, and it's the life for posture. It's this idea of sense that, that my entire life is built on giving to God, and I can never stop, and if I stop doing that, then I'm a bad Christian, right? That's the life for God posture. What Jathani says is that there's actually a fifth posture that scripture talks about. And it's the idea of with. Notice how in every single one of these postures, mankind is outside the triangle. Guys, the book of Ephesians, I think I can't remember for sure, uh, but it's like fifty sometimes I think in the book. Don't quote me on that, okay? Fifty sometimes in the book, um, it talks about being in Christ, with Christ, in Him over and over and over. And what what this communicates is that at the end of the day, what we need to understand is that you and I are never more loved than we are right now. We're never less loved than we are right now. This is perfect. God's love for me is perfect, and that at the end of the day, what God is telling you and me is that his greatest desire is not what I can bring him, and it's not the things that I should be getting from him, right? His greatest desire is from you and me that we would just be in relationship together with God. Guys, that's this right here. Right? That's what we're talking about. And depending on our posture, it changes how we pray. Because, I'm going to put this up here, right? This, all of these postures view prayer like this. It's me on the outside of the triangle, And it's me communicating with God and him coming back and us going back and forth like this. But communication looks differently when I'm in Christ because I'm not outside the triangle, I'm actually inside. So it's less about communication and it's more about communion. And when I think about these postures, because depending on my posture, which by the way, at any single given point in your life and in my life, we're probably some combination of these. We don't get this right as often as we would like. We're some combination of these, right? That's happening. This person's prayer, you know what what their prayer is? God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Over and over and over and over. Forgive me. I'm sorry. You know what this person's prayer is? God, where are you? Why are you not showing up in my life? Well, you've removed him as the middleman, and you're just operating on principles. You have no need for the mechanic when you have the Bible, which is your self help book. It's the fix it book, right? Where are you? This person is bargaining. He's in his prayers. He's constantly going back to God, here's what I need. Here's what I need. Here's what I need. I will give you this, but here's what I need. Over and over and over. It's back and forth that way. This person says, so God, what can I do next? What can I do next? What do I need to do to please you? What do I need to earn your favor? That's the life for God posture. What do I need to do to earn your favor? Right? And we begin to see right, a little bit differently uh, about this prayer, about these prayers. And instead, what Ephesians teaches, what Paul is teaching us is much more about the with peace. It's about the communion peace, life with God. And so here's my question. As we, as we kind of wrap up this portion, I want you to just think for a second, which of these postures is your go-to? Are you a life under God person? Are you a life over God person? Maybe you are a life from God person, maybe you are a life for God person. Which one is your go-to? And where are you at right now? And wrestle with those. Because here's what I think is so important. When we think about posture, the posture of the prayer in this prayer is the posture of bowing our knees. That is a posture of with. It's a posture of humility. It's this posture of understanding who God is and how I fit into the story, right? And it's about communion. It's a posture of communion, not just communication. Right, but here's the deal. I think that when you and I are in the wrong posture, we can oftentimes end up not only just miscommunicating with God, but we end up miscommunicating with the world, because what I'm doing in the world is now stemming from something in my heart, and what's happening, what's going on in my heart. You may remember when we started with the introduction. We ask these questions. Uh, These are questions from the 1960s. Uh, And some of these questions are actually coming back into resurgence today with a little bit more power. Um, But they're questions like this, is there a God? Is Christ the only way to God? Did Christ actually rise from the dead? Are the Bible documents reliable and do science and the Bible agree, right? These are all very much like, almost like these, what we might call knowledge questions. What can I know to be true about the universe? right? These knowledge questions that happened in the 1960s. But these questions that are happening today are much different. They're much more ethical and relational. And there's this disconnect between these questions and the questions today. And so I want to process through them just, just, just kind of quietly in our hearts and just, like, just give you small spaces to process through these things. I want you to, just to ask, just ask yourself this, why are Christians, or maybe why am I, imposing my morality on others? It's a great question. How about this one? How can I trust the church that has done terrible things in the name of Christ? Boy, there's a ton of historical examples that we could go to, but there's also probably a lot in this last year and a half. Next one. What about the different forms of hypocrisy? Jesus talked about this, right? He calls these, the people hypocrites, right? Which is just a word in the Greek for these actors, people who have a front stage life and a backstage life. And their front stage life is not in connection to their backstage, it's not the same. We act differently than we really are. And this is the way we oftentimes, why am I hypocritical? Next question, does your belief actually transform lives? It's a powerful question, very relational, very informative, super relevant. Last question. Does your church serve those who are in need, or is it another self-serving group? You see, there is a disconnect between these things, right? In some sense, the 1960s questions represent chapters one through three, because they're knowledge questions about who God is and how he operates, and chapters four through six represent today's questions, right? How does this actually get like, connected and lived out in life? And the reality is, is that there is oftentimes a disconnect between what we believe and how we act. So here's my question. What if what's missing in our lives is this kind of prayer. What if this is the hitch? What if you're showing up and you got the Jeep and you got the trailer, but you got no hitch? Right, this is significant. It's tremendously, tremendously important. You think about like, the position that God has given us and the purpose that he's given us in this position, this posture of prayer. We begin to understand and pray a little bit differently. This is about who God is. This is about who we were by nature. This is what God did to bring us together. He gave us peace, not only with God, but also with other people, right? And by the way, God wants to do more than you can ask or even imagine. And you're like, I get that conceptually, but do I pray that? We need to start thinking bigger because then we can pray bigger. Because that's the way that God wants to work. Does he want to work small? Absolutely. But guess what? Sometimes small things are huge things. Sometimes things, big things are small things. But he wants to work this way. And here's the deal. When I think about for this reason, we talked about the posture of prayer, but he says for this reason, what are these reasons? Well, he's talking about basically everything that has come before, most specifically in direct context to chapters three and two, but it really represents everything. So when Paul starts his prayer, which we're going to unpack next week, know that what he's referring to is backwards. So here's what I want you to do. We're just going to spend a time of quiet, and I want you to bow your head. Bow your head and close your eyes. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through all of the things that Paul has said and mentioned thus far about this story that we are in. And I want you to see the bleak, dark picture before Jesus, and then I want you to rejoice in the goodness of what he's done. Here we go, listen to these. We were dead, not partially dead, fully dead in our trespasses and sins. You and I, we followed the course of the world. We were under the influence of Satan. We freely lived out the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and our mind whenever we wanted to and however we wanted to. We were by nature children of wrath. And we were called by the circumcised people, we were called the uncircumcised. And in fact, we were separated from Christ. And we were alienated from the family of Israel And we were strangers to the covenant of promise. Guys, and here is where it is so dark and so bleak. Hear this. We had no hope without God in the world. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were raised up with Christ, and we were seated with him in the heavenly places. And we will one day receive in the coming ages the immeasurable riches of God's grace. We've been saved by grace, not by works. And we've been saved by grace through faith. We, in fact, are his workmanship, created for good works you and i together we have been brought near to god through christ and we have peace with god and with others and we have access through the spirit to the father in fact you and i guys we are no longer strangers and aliens we are now fellow citizens with the saints and we are growing into a holy temple, and we are being built into a dwelling place for God. We have been given the revelation of the mystery, and we have the privilege to be ministers of the gospel, to carry the unsearchable riches of Christ with us, and we get to bring the light of the gospel message to everyone we come in contact with. In fact, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Christ. We no longer have any need to lose heart. Guys, you and I, together we, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we've been chosen by God. We've been predestined to adoption and we have redemption through his blood. In fact, we've obtained an inheritance and we can know the immeasurable greatness of his power. And here is the climax. Here's where Paul finishes. He says, you and I, together we, can be filled with the fullness of God.